things he hath done. And uh, we have been considering that topic, if you would, all year in, in our quest to um, seeking, knowing God. It's a matter of not just studying God, but seeing God and knowing who he is and what he has done. And, and that really is the, the, really the definition of worship, is, to, is the act of exalting God for who he is and what he has done both individually and as a, as a group getting together. And so we have considered through this past year the quest of knowing God. We have uh, seen the fact that Jesus has stated that the core of the definition of eternal life, the, even the concept of eternal life, is knowing him. And so how important it was. And we've then considered who he is, that he is God and that he is God alone, that he is one God, and yet He is three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have considered His, his natural attributes, um, and that He is limitless. He is sovereign. And we considered, and we'll mention that a little bit again more today, potentially in this next couple of sessions, we just talk about the desires of God, the sovereignty of God, and, and how He has played that out, as well as in His dominion, giving dominion to man. In His vocational attributes, and that He is the Creator God, He is the the judge and he is the savior, we've then considered his moral attributes, looking at the holiness of God, looking at the love of God, looking at the goodness of God, looking at the, the just uh, judgment of God, and uh, going through each of the, the different moral attributes and considering who he was. We considered his zeal, um, the zeal that he has for his own namesake and, and for us his children. Last week, we began looking at a new facet, the final facet of our series that we're going to be looking at, and that is what would typically be called the, the will of God, but that I'm referring to as the desires of God. Um, because, as we talked last week, um, we saw that what we do, our will, our actions, really are a result of our greatest desires of the moment. We have multiple desires within us, and um, many of those desires, hopefully, are, are good. Hopefully, the majority, if not overwhelmingly all, but I'm sure that we have... Um, because our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, there are times when we have wrongful motives and desires that are within us as well. But as I shared last week, you know, the desire to minister to the body, the desire to minister to my wife, the desire to minister to my children are all proper desires. All can be fit under the, the concept of being desires of God, but yet can become conflicting at times. And I can only do one of those, one of those threes. And so whichever one is the greatest of those desires becomes my expressed will of that moment. I hope that make, makes sense. And so it is with God in the, in the same way, that God has um, desires that we see in the Word of God which comprise what we refer to as His will. Many people have taught on the will of God and they refer to the will of God as the decreed will of God, the, the, um, the permissive will of God, the, the, um, the secret will of God, and, and, and these things. And I just, I'd rather get away from a lot of the theological terms, if you don't mind, and just just look at what does the Bible reveal as desires of God. And so they're all revealed desires. Does that make sense? And they're all properly his desires. It's just a matter that we, what we struggle with is the priority of those desires in the situation that I'm looking at. Are, are we tracking with me on this one? In other words, when I, I say... Wonder, I wonder what the will of God is in this situation. What I'm really looking at is, say again, 
what, well, what do I want to do? Yeah, that's, I mean, many times it's really what we're, but if I have a sincere heart and I want to do what God wants, then really what I, and for this moment, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the same strategy, if you would, that my mind is going through when I decide what I'm going to do according to my will, according to my desires. So I look at the situation, and what I want to be able to analyze is, what has God expressed in his word to be his desires? What does he desire of man? What does he desire of me, particularly? And how do those things apply to this situation that I'm involved in right now? What we did see in Psalm 115, verse 1 to 3, it says, Not unto us, O Yahweh, unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, So where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Now I want you to, to have that verse in your mind because of what it says, Not unto us, but unto your name give glory. We'll come back to that um, in thought process in a moment. And in Psalm 135, 5 and 6, where we saw, For I know that Yahweh is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever Yahweh pleases, he does. In heaven, and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. And that is that God is not, again, limited by man. We talked about that months ago when we talked about the limitness of God and the sovereignty of God. That God gives an account to nobody, and he does whatever he pleases. So, there is no one who is going to restrain his desire. Does that make sense? My children may have desires that they want to do something, but they can't do it because I restrain it. Does that make sense? When you get to be an adult, there is nothing to necessarily what? Restrain you. There are, your desires might change. You say, but there are things that restrain me. No, there really aren't, um, unless you go across certain limits. For example, you see the speed limit sign, right? The, the government has put a restraint there, have they not? But it's still going to be your desire to submit to the standards of the government or to rebel. That's going to choose what you do at that moment. Now, God, being sovereign, can do whatever he chooses to do in the moment that you decide to rebel against that governing authority, Right? But as you ride down the road in your own decision process, as your desires conflict and, and struggle and, and you want to honor God by honoring the government authorities, but yet you want to get to where you're going 15 minutes early, you have a decision to make. Do you get it? But God isn't under any constraints. The only constraints that God has is himself or his own desires. We saw as well, as we considered the, um, the expression of God's desires, that in the New Testament there were um, two primary words that are used, bulamai and thelo, and the, the noun version of those, bule and thelema. And as we saw that in the verb side of it, that they were very similar to will, to determine, to be inclined, to be disposed, that, to desire, to desire something. As we went through all those countless verses, we saw that over and over and over again, it talked about a desire, what, what the inclination was. But as it was brought out in the, in the noun forms, Boule had more of an idea of counsel and advice, where Thelema has more of the idea of a will or desire. Okay? And so, so bringing those, those shades into that. And what I tried to show last week, and I, I think I did some confusion as I went through it as well, and I apologize for that, but that 
the idea is that though the shades of differences are there in the nouns, yet the words overwhelmingly are used interchangeably. Interchangeably. And it is hard to, def- to, to build a theology, a doctrine, upon the shade of meaning between, between the two. Does that make sense? And that they come across back into the Old Testament, pairing off to these words, ratzon, kafetz, and etzah. And so you can see that ratzon, and then we saw as well ratzah, which was the, 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 its other variant, means to will or be disposed or be minded. Kafetz as well means to incline, to bend, to delight, to desire. And etzah is counsel and advice. And so these words are used, and we'll see them in some of the verses we look at today, are used as well in the Old Testament. And they are used, again, interchangeably. So the, the terms for God's counsel and advice for the, 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 um, the intent, the, um, the, the flow of how the desire is coming out is used interchangeably. Does that make sense? Um, and so these words are used in that manner. And so the question we ought to have, oh, and we saw the importance um, of the will of God, the desires of God, First of all, to Christ, why it should be important to us, okay, as we considered the embracing of his desires. It was important to Christ, and we saw John 4, uh, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will, or thelema, the desires of, of him who sent me, to finish his work. And um, even in the garden, when he said, Father, if it is your will, your boule, to take this cup away from me, nevertheless, not my will desires, but yours be, yours be done. And so, again, Jesus uses the word boule and thelema interchangeably when he's talking about, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, because if it's your will, then take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, I want yours to be done, and so the words are used interchangeably there. But then secondly, and importantly for us, is that it's important to us as well. I mean, Christ gave some pretty strong um, challenge here. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the thelema, the will, the desires, of my Father in heaven. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust thereof. But whoever does the will, the lema of God, abides forever. And so, there are other verses we could look at that say the same thing, but this should be of great importance to us, to know the will, the desires of God. Because Christ very clearly has placed eternal life hand in hand with this concept of knowing God and knowing the, the will or desires of God. And so the next question you should have, that I have then, as I come into this, and that is, what is the will of God? What are his desires? If Jesus said, depart from me, you son of lawlessness, you're the only ones who, who are doing the will of God can enter in, and that you know the, all these other things of the world are passing away, but only those who do the will of God will abide forever, then I ought to want to know what are his desires. And so I want to, for us to begin looking at that um, over these next couple weeks. Now I'm going to be gone next week and the week after that, so the, the week, um, three weeks from now, We'll look at it again, um, and then probably on the 31st, we're going to look at um, something with regarding Halloween. Um, maybe I should do that one first before Halloween, so everybody gets it before Halloween. Anyways, 
Um, so we'll see how it goes. And then we'll be finishing this up then um, in a couple weeks after that. But some preliminary thoughts. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 15 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to desire, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, what's important about that? The fact is that if you are God's child, if you are called by his name, if you have sincerely from your heart genuinely have recognized your sin, have called upon his name for deliverance, and now you're called by his name, by him, not by you, if you are generally his, God has given us a promise and that God will place within you a desire for his desires. Do you get it? It is God who works in you both to will, to desire, and to do of his good pleasure. Why? So that you can be blameless and harmless without rebuke, a son of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you may shine as lights in the world. And do you remember last week how we ended um, with Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says that we were called upon to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which, are our, which is our reasonable act of worship, and not to be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed in the renewing of our mind that we may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The idea is that as I walk through the world, I am proving to the world, I am showing to be genuine to the world to what God's desires are. As the world looks at his children, we demonstrate what God's true desires are. And so as your neighbors look to you, as your workmates look to you, as your schoolmates look to you, what do they determine to be the will of God? I mean, if we really are disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're really followers of the Master, then we would be following his teachings. We would be seeking to walk in his delights and his desires. His desires would become our desires. I mean, think of cults. We see it with cults. And that's why we call them cults. Man, they're part of a cult. I mean, they give the guy everything he own, they own. They, I mean, they, they dress like him. They act like him. They talk like him. They look like him. Shouldn't it be like that with Jesus? Isn't that why in the city of Antioch, believers were first called little Christs as a term of derision? Because those who were his followers were acting like him? And so, God, if you are his child, will work in you both to desire and to do concerning his good pleasure. And then we're told as well in the book of Proverbs, the lips of the righteous know, they know what is acceptable. And the word there is ratzah, which is our word, according to God's desires and pleasures. The lips of the righteous know. You know. 
And so we talk about in our memory verses over the past so, month, so many months with First John that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Awesome, that's awesome, y'all. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And the word for confession there, homologizomai, means that I say it together in agreement with. I agree with God, this is abomination. This is a stench. Not that, well, this is socially unacceptable. This isn't really my desires. This is, this is less than what is expected of me. No, this is abomination. This is awful. And so, that happens because you just know what God's desires are. Do you get it? That as you're going on and you taint yourself with that sin, that darkness... If you are his, if you're walking in the light as he is in the light, and you stumble into the darkness, what do you realize? I'm in darkness. And I need to get out. And so wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. And so I, homologizomai, I agree with God that where I am is not where he desires for me to be. And we'll talk about that in weeks to come when we talk about God's desire for the sanctification of his children. But suffice it to say right now that as we go into these things, if you are his, these things ought to make sense to you. If you are not his, this does make no sense to you. It makes no sense to you. Because he is not placing the desire for righteousness within you. Not because he doesn't like you. Because you haven't accepted the free gift that he's asked. Offered you to take. And so, as we then look at these desires, the first desire that we see throughout the scripture is the exaltation of his purpose. Now, of his person, what did I say? Purpose. Sorry, thank you. The exaltation of his person. And now, I was, we were coming back from the WANA conference yesterday, and Abigail was asking me, so Pastor Bob, how long does it take you to, to work on messages? And I said, well, it depends on what the message is and what I'm, what I'm preaching on. You know, any, it could take anywhere from eight hours to 40 to more hours. And, and, and I shared that, for example, this little sub-segment sub here of the desires of God is taking me <laughs> lots of time. And because it's, it's extending. I mean, it's, you know, it's, this is not just a, a study on, okay, well, I'm just going to study all the uses of ratso and ratsa and, and um, kafetz, and I'm going to study all the, the uses of bule and bulamai and thelo and thelema. But reality is, God, when he expresses his desire now, see, now I've got to look at the expression of his desire. I mean, I can look at all the word uses of those things, but now when God expresses his desires, he doesn't always express his desires as, I desire this. But rather, many times, God's desires are expressed as what? Commands. If I tell my son, if I say, Andrew, 
I don't, or I don't, I don't want to say I don't want because it defeats my purpose. Don't write on that paper. Now, what am I saying to him? Well, I'm saying don't write on the paper, but what do I really mean? It is my will, it is the expression of my chiefest desires of this moment that you do not write on that paper. Now, I gave him a command, though. It was a negative command. If I said to Andrew, give me a cup of water. Now, I commanded him to go get me a glass of water. But what I'm really saying is what? I desire a glass of water, and my desire is for you to go get it for me right now. Do you understand? So, so now my study has to go way beyond just considering what God has verbally, in words, used as words of will and desire. And now I have to look at the rest of Scripture and look at all these commands. And, and you know, it's so overwhelming, honestly. And I have sought to boil them all down into four. And the, and the first one is this exaltation of his person. Now, as we're going to see, as we look at the exaltation of his person, all but one of these verses, none of them have those words that we just spent all week going all Sunday last week going over. Because these are expressions of God which convey his desire and will. In the weeks to come, as we look at the other ones, the, those words are going to occur more often. But John 4, turn with me to John 4, verse 23 and 24. This is Jesus talking to the, the Samaritan woman at the well in Sychar. And, um, and they're discussing prophets and, um, and, and where they're to worship. And um, Jesus had begun the conversation with her by asking her for something to drink. And she was just astounded because he, being a Jew, was asking her, as a Samaritan woman, to give him something to drink. And that shouldn't happen. Remember, we talked about in Sunday school about that uncleanness thing. And so Jesus, being under the law, shouldn't have even had a conversation with, with her. Um, being an unclean Samaritan, and yet he turns to her and says, give me some water. And she says, man, I can't believe you're asking me water. He says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. <laughs> I just think it's pretty cool. Anyways, and in verse 23 and 24, Jesus says to her, the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, you may say this is a stretch, but if God is seeking actively, and it's a word is an active word, if he's actively seeking people to truly worship him in spirit and in truth, that means it must be a what? A desire that he has. And so God has a desire to be glorified. God has a desire to be worshipped. And if you are called by his name, that should be a no-brainer. Psalm 96, verses 7 and 9, we read, Give to Yahweh, O families of the people. Give to Yahweh glory and strength. Give to Yahweh the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now, we're told in John 4 by Jesus that God is seeking true worshipers, but here in the Psalms, we're told that this concept of worship extends to who? What's on? I didn't hear you. 
The whole earth. Everyone. All the families of the earth. All the families of the nations. All the nations are, are called upon to give glory to God. Why? A, because He's God. And B, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Look what it says at the end there. Tremble. Tremble before Him, O earth. Isn't that something? What's tremble mean? Shake. And why are you trembling? Why are you shaking? Fear. Fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't it amazing? Okay? I mean, and so, you know, we talk about knowing God. One of the, the chiefest places, the foundation of coming to know God, is having a respectful fear of who He is. If you're not concerned of a judgment, then you're not going to be concerned about a salvation. Does that make sense? And so the fear of God is the beginning place. And God says that the exaltation of his person is the chiefest desire. Now, I want you to understand that because as we're going to look at these things, as we're going to look about the salvation of all men, and we're going to look at the creation of all people, and we're going to be looking at the, the uh, sanctification of his children, we understand that those are all subsets, if you would, almost, of this one thing. And that God's desire for the glorification of his person isn't this selfish, snobbish thing that we look at people today for. In other words, if if I was all about seeking my own glorification, my own exaltation, what would you think of me? Not too much, huh? Yeah. But I I would be pretty selfish, self-centered. But isn't it interesting that it's not so with God? That part of God's desire for His exaltation is for our betterment. He understands the true purpose in it. That when we truly exalt Him, when we truly recognize who He is, we will be then brought into the right relationship and given salvation. I remember my grandma, years ago, she's with the Lord right now. With the Lord. This is awesome. And I remember years ago, the dining room table in my mom and dad's house, the house I grew up in, um, can't say it's my dining room table, it really was, in a sense, because I did eat there when I was a kid, but now I have my own. But anyways, we went back and we were meeting, my grandma was there, and, and my grandma was, was the biggest agnostic, um, atheist, you know, and... Um, she was hook, line, and sinker for National Geographic. <laughs> they said it, it must be true, you know, that was her Bible. And, um, and I don't remember what started the conversation, but we were talking about Noah and the flood, and she said, Robert. Now, understand when she said Robert to me, I wasn't being scolded, that was a term of affection for her. For everybody else I hear Robert from, it's because I'm in trouble. But from her, it was a term of, infection, of affection. Robert, you don't mean to tell me that you really believe those myths those stories. And I said, yeah, Grandma, I really do. <laughs> They're true. They're not myths. And she says, and so we start talking about God. And she said, I can't believe that you want to follow someone so, and it almost sounds like she could have read from Richard Dawkins' book on the God delusion about who God is. And she used some choice names for God at that moment. 
um, because of this desire for his exaltation. And I said, well, Grandma, not, you may not like my response here. Um, but anyways, meaning you all may not like my response. But I said to Grandma, I said, Grandma, you know what? From your perspective, you may very well be right. From her perspective, she may very well be right. I mean, that he is snobbish and, and, and all these kind of things, and we'd call him a Hitler if he was here on the earth and all these other things she said. I said, but there's two things you need to realize. First of all, he is God. And regardless of what you think about him, you are going to stand before him in judgment. So it doesn't matter right now, ultimately, what you think of him. Because you're going to stand before him. In, in, in hell, it talks about those who are both weeping and those who are gnashing teeth. Some are sorry they're there, crying, and some are still angry. But the second thing is, I would challenge you that after you get to know him, you'll understand that that attribute that you see as selfishness is not selfishness at all. My grandma got saved two weeks before she died. And I saw her the day before she died. Um, Everybody thought she was waiting for me, for me to get there, and then she could die. And um, actually, she was waiting for me to lead her to Christ. But she finally got saved because everyone, you know, weren't sure where I was going to get there. And, uh, (laughs) um, And I said to Grandma, I said, Pastor Mike came to see you um, two weeks ago. She says, yes, he did. And I said, and so I, I understand that you had a, a good conversation. She says, yes, we did. And I said, so what do you think of Jesus now? She says, it's taken me long enough to come to know my Lord and my Savior. You know, it's amazing that after you come to know God, your view of God really changes a whole lot in this concept of his exaltation. His desire for the nations to glorify him is not for his own grandiose um, delusion and, and, and selfishness. But as we're going to see through the whole thing, it's for our betterment. It's for the whole glory of the whole thing. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11 as we see a little bit more of this concept of glory, but in context of why and for what. Romans chapter 11, beginning of verse 33. Now this is again in the context of, of God setting aside Israel to open up the gospel to the Gentiles so that he can use the saving of the Gentiles to cause the, the Jews to be jealous so that the Jews would return back to him. And in beginning of verse 33 we read, O oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The whole point is what? Who knows? Who can fully understand the entirety of God's understandings? And the answer is, no one. No one. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable, unsearchable, are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of Yahweh? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him 
and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Isaiah 66, turn with me there. Isaiah 66, the final chapter of the book of Isaiah. A larger segment, beginning in verse 18, God says, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and those among them who escape I will send to the nations, to Tarshish and Pool and Lud who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan to the coastlands afar off, who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to Yahweh out of all the nations on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith Yahweh. As the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel to the house of Yahweh, and I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, saith Yahweh. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make shall remain before me, saith Yahweh, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, saith Yahweh. It is God's desire that his glory be proclaimed among the Gentiles, among all the nations. It is his desire that all the nations and all the peoples of the world will come to worship him. As his child, I should desire what he desires. And in chapter 42 of Isaiah, he says, I am Yahweh, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise the carved images. And so God desires for His glory to be revealed and for His name to be glorified and worshipped. Now, we're going to see in these next five passages quickly some ways in which God has specifically done things among His people and peoples of the earth so that His name would be glorified. Turn with me to John chapter 11. Now, understand, remember, we used the analogy of the ocean, and we said that sometimes we get out in the middle of the water, and we can't touch the bottom, and we're kind of we're drowning a little bit. And as we get into some of these illustrations, again, some of these illustrations may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But that's okay. In John 11, beginning of verse 1, we read, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not for death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, you know the rest of the story. When Jesus made that statement, what did he do? He didn't go. (laughs) He waited for a couple days. And why did he wait? 
So you could show his power. Say, Don. So his glory could be manifested. Okay, you, you guys are, I mean, this is awesome. You're giving me good theological responses. So Lazarus could die. Let's be honest. Let's put straight. He waited so Lazarus would die. God in the flesh knew that somebody who was dear to him was sick and dying. And he delayed it. He delayed his coming. In the words of my grandma before, before she got saved, okay, I'm, I'm supposing words for her here, okay? What kind of God would do something like that? I mean, Mary and Martha, you know, we're already told that Mary's the one who poured the ointment on him. Martha served him, made dinner for him, for his, for his companions. What kind of God would do that? They came, sent messengers, petitioning him. The one you love is sick. And so he gives lip service. Oh, this, this, this is he's not unto death. It's for the glory of God. And so he waits. Now, I don't mean to paint that the bad picture. But the reality is, are there times in your life when there are negative situations that are going on and you cry out to Jesus, you cry out to God, and ask him to what? Intercede. To do what you want him to do at that moment. And that is to relieve you of your anguish. <laughs> and you get no response. Jesus comes three or four days later. God's timing is always perfect. It's just not always according to your timing. And so he comes to Mary and Martha, and Martha comes running out, and she falls at his feet and says what? If you'd been here, if you'd only been here, I cried out to you, and you didn't answer, and if you'd be here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But God's got a bigger picture. And the message goes back to Mary, and Mary comes out and she says, what? I want to ditto everything Martha just said. <laughs> and Jesus goes to the tomb. In the passage that all Awana kids and adults like to memorize, Jesus wept. <laughs> well, I, can, I can quote that whole verse. Jesus wept. And why did he weep? Because he loved him. The conflict of desires. Do you get it? Jesus wept. He loved Lazarus. And yet he knew that something greater was going to happen than what would have happened if over the distance he said, sickness be gone. Could he have done that? I mean, he, he didn't have to go to Bethany. I mean, that's where Mary and Martha got it wrong. If you'd only been here. No, they missed it. He didn't have to be there. Remember the, the, the um, centurion, thank you, in Capernaum. I'm thinking the guy in Capernaum. I couldn't remember. The centurion, who had faith greater than those of Israel, who said, I don't need to come out to see you because I say to one, come, and he comes, and to one, go, and he goes, and I know that all you've got to do is say the word, and it's going to happen. 
And Jesus said he's healed. And it happened. And so Jesus goes to the tomb and says, Father, I know that you always hear me, but I'm praying so that everybody else knows. And then he just says specifically, Lazarus, come forth. And the people are filled with amazement. Now, understand this. It's just a generic statement, people are filled with amazement. Were all people filled with amazement? No. No. There were some standing there that were filled with disdain. Because of that thing, the death of Christ was expedited. Because now they didn't have to just deal with this this preacher who's healing people, but now he just raised somebody irrefutably from the dead. It wasn't the widow's son on the buyer coming by, but this guy was in the tomb for four days. And everybody knew it. Isn't that incredible? An irrefutable miracle. Some will glorify God. And some will reject. But God had a greater purpose in the illness and in the sickness. And all I can do is encourage you from Romans 8 that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And we can get into the permissive will and the creed will here, right? Because God's permissive will allowed Lazarus to be sick and to die. Right? Get rid of the terminologies. God desired to be glorified in that sickness and in that death. And he allowed his friend Lazarus to die for a greater purpose. And that purpose was his glorification. That desire, the greater desire, was that he would be glorified. 1 Peter 4, 10-11 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, we know that the Holy Spirit gives each one gifts in the body as he wills. Remember we looked at that last week? As God desires, he gifts each person in the body. But he gifts each person in the body as he desires in order that they use the gifts that they may glorify him. We do it to minister to one another, to edify one another, to meet the needs of one another. But in meeting the needs of one another and edifying one another, the greater purpose, the greater desire is that we would glorify God. And so again, God's greatest desire is that his person would be exalted. The exaltation of who he is. What gifts do you have? What enablings and abilities has God given to you? 
Have you even considered the fact that they're coming from God and not of your own talents? And have you used them then to glorify and serve God? Or are you using them that you would receive the glory? And people will think you're something special. Listen, it's hard for me when I go to the WANA conferences. I mean, it's kind of funny. Because my kids will come tell me at times, you know, after I, I teach a message, or teach one of the sessions, you know, and, and the kids will say, Dad, you said, I was coming in the door and these, these, these people were behind me saying, oh, if you get a chance to go to that, that, that one, by, um, Bob, 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 Bob Corbin, you've got to go to that session, you know. And it's just, boom, 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 boom. And the head starts to swell, you know. And I'm sitting at, <laughs> sitting at lunch yesterday, right? Uh, we're looking for a spot. Ben and I come walking in, and so we sat down at, at, at this table. And, and my name tag, I guess, flipped or whatever. What, so we're just sitting there eating. And, and the folks across the table, they must all be together. Then they have to be big round tables. And the one says, um, somebody else in their church, I have no idea, was telling me about the one session we've got to go see if we get a chance. Somebody like Bob, 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 something, Bob Corp, Bob Corp something or other. Get, get, the, get, the, get the things out. Let's find out who that is. And I made sure my name tag was turned, turned over. You know, part of me just wanted to hear what they were going to say. <laughs> and then I said, no, I can't do that. And I said, um, I, I'm, I'm that Bob Corp something or other. <laughs> and so I stopped. But, you know, it's so easy. I mean, I, I just rejoice in the Lord as part of the testimony. I didn't share it this morning because I've shared it in the past. But I just rejoice in the Lord for the opportunities to serve him. To encourage people. I mean, all I'm doing is encouraging them to love God. That's what my sessions are all about. Yes, girls? I mean, it's just to, to pray, to read, to study God's Word, to memorize it, and to apply it. That's all my session was about. That's pretty simple stuff. And the other session is all about memorizing God's Word. Just trying to encourage them to do it. I mean, it's pretty basic. I, mean, I think it's pretty basic. And God gives me the privilege to encourage people who are working with kids to do that, to love Him, and to read His Word. And people hear that, and they think it's pretty profound. <laughs> but so it's easy for Bob to do what? Yeah, take the, yeah, yeah, it's all about Bob, you know? And it's not all about Bob. It's all about God giving me the privilege and the abilities to be able to stand. Listen, this is not my desire. I am not a public speaker. I'm far from it. I was so spent coming home from Badaya yesterday. I mean, I'm trying to do everything I can to stay awake. You don't want to hear that now that you brought the kids home, right? I, I, the introvert of me, this, this spends me. I mean, I just, this wipes me out. And so this is not my greatest desire. You know, if we talk about wills and desires, this is not it. But I know this is what God has called me to do and what God's desire for me is to do. And so I want him to receive the glory for everything that goes on. Do we each want to do that? 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. (laughs) Eat and drink? I mean, eat and drink? Eat and drink. I don't want to become legalistic in this. But God brought it up. I didn't. Do we really? go down into the mundane things of our life and worry about whether God is glorified in what we do. 
I mean, if it's going, going all the way down to the mundane things of eating and drinking, okay? Don't you think it includes what you watch on TV? What movies you bring into your home? What movies you go see at the theaters? What songs you're going to listen to and allow into the computer of your brain? The places that you're going to go, the jokes that you laugh at or that you're going to tell. Do you think God wants to be glorified in all of those things? I think so. If it's a big point for God to be glorified among the nations, and even to the extent of whether you eat and drink, do you care about whether what you eat and drink is either edifying or destroying the temple of God? We eat and drink beyond physical food. We eat and drink spiritually all the time. Newspapers, internet articles, pictures, movies. I only have 24 hours in a day. And I'm going to sleep anywhere from 4 to 10 hours of those. Well, if you're sleeping four hours for quite a while, I'm looking for, right now, George, I am doing everything I can to stay awake till about nine o'clock tonight, but I know I'm going to get up around four or five tomorrow again. So I'm, right now, I'm looking forward to Tuesday, because Tuesday, I don't have anything. Don't call me. <laughs> this is one of these desire moments. My desires are going to outweigh everybody else's desires. I know there's going to be an emergency that happens. It's going to cause me to be up at six in the morning or four in the morning. But I'm looking forward to sleeping until 7 in the morning on Tuesday. Now, for some of you say, man, that's not sleeping in. It is for me right now. I'm looking forward to getting at least eight hours of sleep. I'm tired. I'm hitting my, my wall right now. And I've lost track of where I'm going. <laughs> do all to the glory of God, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, even how you live your life and how you treat your body with sleep. Huh? Anyways, do all to the glory of God. Finally, um, or next to last, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Turn with me there. Real quickly. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. How often? <laughs> always. Isn't that awful? I mean, Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Like if you didn't get it the first time, I've got to tell you again. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Why? It's God's will. In Christ Jesus for you all. Do not quench the Spirit. I think there's a reason why do not quench the Spirit is right there on the heels of rejoicing, praying, and thanking God. Because when we are not showing appreciation and exaltation to God for who He is and what He has done in our lives, we begin to quench the movement and the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is God's expressed will that we be adoring and appreciative people. Again, if his children, who are called by his name, don't get it, who will? And finally, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. 
which will be a transitional for us as well into these other segments. And we're looking at 3 to 14, but I'll start at 1 just for Paul's introduction. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his own good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and earth, in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Do you denote anything, any phrase that occurred numerous times throughout that? His, his will, but to the praise of his glory. He reveals his will, he reveals his will to us to the praise of his glory. Now we're going to talk about two of the aspects that are in there in these weeks to come. Talking about his creation before the foundations of the world were laid, the creation, and also about salvation. But suffice it to say for now, in all that, before we break those out, the expression of his will in those things was so that we would Give him praise to his glory. The exaltation of his person, of who he is. So, God is God alone. There is none other. He alone is worthy of our praise and glory. And it is his desire, or his will, that we glorify him in all that we do. Do you? Is it your desire to glorify God? In all that you do? Can you look at each aspect of your life and state that your chief desire is to glorify God in that area? If not, what changes do you need to make in light of God's desires? Because if you can't say right now, it's all about God, rather it's about me, then I would challenge you in your walk with the Lord, in your relationship with him. But if you are his, again, go all the way back to Philippians chapter 2, it'll be God who works in you both to will and to do of his desires and pleasures. And if you don't have that, 
then that's the first place that you need to stop. If you have that basic desire to please God, to perform his desires, but you know that you're not being consistent in that, then I would ask you to repent, change the way you think, and ask God to reveal to you an area of your life that you need to work on, and then be willing to do that by his glory and by his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you for your word, which is quick and powerful and sharp in the two-edged sword. And I thank you that you desire us to worship you and to glorify you. Because truly, Lord, it is through that desire that you draw us to yourself. That we have the best that you have to offer. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we feel that you wanting to be glorified is confining to us, doing what we want to do. Ignoring the fact that what we desire is not necessarily what's best, but it's what you desire. That is always what is best. I thank you, Lord, that you have, before the foundations of the world were laid, determined that Christ would die for us. That it was your desire before you ever made man, knowing that man would sin, to bring man into a, a saving relationship, a redemptive relationship, a reconciled relationship with you. Lord, help us to be responsive in that love. To love you who first loved us by desiring what you desire and glorying in your glory. And pursuing our relationship with you more and more. For we ask this, Lord, not according to our own will, but according to your expressed will. In Jesus' name, amen.